What a guest we have on our show today. Um, I've followed this individual's journey for a couple of years and the motivation she gives me and other women on sort of social media is incredible. She's here to talk about her new book today, which has been a real sort of tribute to how she feels in her strongest state physically and mentally. Um, and our guest is not only an incredible author, she's an award-winning journalist and writes regularly for The Times, Grazia, Guardian and more. So without further ado, I welcome Puna Bell onto the show. How are you, Puna? Oh, I'm doing quite well, thank you. That was such a lovely intro. Oh. <laughs> How's <laughs> Yeah, not too bad. Um, I guess when we're recording this, we are about a week away from coming out of lockdown. So I am, I'm really, really good and the sun is shining and yeah, it's like a small, the appreciation for small things at the moment. Oh, good. No, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I'm actually excited. I'm commuting tomorrow into work, which I'm very excited Ooh. about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's start off with um, lockdown. And I usually start off with some quick fire questions to my guests. So um, my first question is, what's been your go to Netflix show during lockdown? I have several on the go at the moment. Um, uh, at the moment, because I like a lot of sci-fi as well as um, like I don't ever watch anything too political or too dark. So I'm stuck between um, watching Avenue Five, which is uh, it's basically about a um, kind of spaceship cruise liner um and it's got Hugh Laurie in it and it is so hilarious um and but at the same time I'm also juggling that with This Is Us because oh, the writing for that is absolutely incredible <laughs> yeah nice good choices um and have you picked up any new hobbies during lockdown yeah I started learning Italian last year and I actually can't believe that I have still stuck to it um and I'm still doing it but I've also uh I because I've been talking about doing this for so long I finally started to do a, a sort of strength training certification course which I'm about two-thirds of the way through so I'm really pleased I've started that actually oh nice and so with both of these I assume it's all sort of online virtual learning then isn't it it, it is yeah I mean it's not like online isn't necessarily my favorite way to learn but I definitely think that it allows me to slot in like hours uh, in and around my schedule so actually it, it is it's been easier to maintain because number one I'm not running around as much or no one's been running around anywhere um, but it also means that you know where I've got sort of an hour or two I can actually just make the most of that hour rather than just defaulting to watching TV. Nice I like that yeah I'm trying to um, I was learning Spanish and actually going physically to classes before lockdown and it's just yeah I tried it online but it just wasn't like <laughs> my motivation just wasn't there whereas once you're in your car like driving to the lesson you're like I can't turn back now <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, and what's one thing you've learned about yourself during lockdown one thing that I've learned about myself is I always knew that I liked to spend time by myself and not that that's in any way shape or form uh, what I'm comparing being in several lockdowns and the pandemic too, because obviously this was very involuntary. 
but I have done the last 12 months living on my own. And that has taught me that if I can do that and if I can sustain myself through that, and sure, I have my friends and family um, that I've seen periodically in and around and I speak to them on the phone. But if I can live on my own in, in a situation like this, then yeah. I think that there is a lot that I'm capable of that I probably don't uh, realize. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I live with seven other people, so it's like polar opposite. <laughs> yeah, I miss I miss my quiet time on my commute, um, which is mm. crazy. Um, so tell us about how you got started as a journalist, Puna. Was it something you always wanted to get into? Um, um, I mean, I would say that when I was at university, like I always knew that I wanted to be a writer from, you know, as young as let's say six or seven years old. I always knew that I wanted to write, whether that was creatively or be a journalist or something like that in some shape or form. And then when I was at university, I was um, caught between whether I go into something like broadcast and, you know, uh, get into TV work or whatever, or actually become, you know, a journalist for, let's say, print media. And I think that I could have possibly gone either way, even though I would say my main skill set is in writing. But it's obviously so much harder to get into broadcast. And I think that my first opportunity that was offered to me when I was a journalist was, you know, like as it is for many journalists, unpaid work experience. And it was for a now defunct um, Asian newspaper called Asian Express. Okay. Um, and then that led into actually working for um, for uh, Asian magazines like Asiana, and uh, and I was there when that that was that started up. And then when I was around, I would say um, 25, uh, you know, I then decided that I needed to depart from Asian media and move more into mainstream media. So I managed to get a job working for again the now defunct London paper. God, I'm like the curse of Superman. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah. So once I left Asian media, I never, I didn't go back to it, but that was definitely offered me my first um, intro into the, into the industry. And what was your sort of career highlight when you were a journalist? Um, and do you still class yourself as a journalist or would you say you're journalist stroke author? Um, I mean, I would say that yes, I am still a journalist, mm. but the type of journalism that I do isn't the type of journalism that I that I've done for the bulk of my career and also it is an industry that I am slowly but surely leaving because um, without wanting to be too pessimistic uh, I've worked in it for quite a long time so you know 16 years is, is quite a long time it's an industry for me that isn't changing in terms of you know we are still having conversations around the diversity of uh, newspaper columnists and you know the diversity within teams and so on and the pay is just mostly terrible and I've just you know I've paid my dues I've worked in it for a really long time and I think I'm just exhausted by it and I think it's just time for me to kind of transition out of it to make space for other people who are who do have the energy for it and then the way that I see myself contributing to it is just you know running occasional uh, talks like free obviously but you know running like talks or, or giving advice to people that need it who are struggling who may have been in a similar situation that I was in but it's been a lot of it's been a lot of slog Polly like it's been mostly slog um, and a lot of hard work and I feel like writing books for me is so much more enjoyable I love the autonomy that it gives me 
um so that's what i'm moving my career into nice love that there's such um mm. there's a i feel like with journalists at the moment you can't do wrong for doing right you're in such a like critical place whatever you put out you know mm. and and that you know you put put yourself out there all the time when you're writing but yeah your point around lack of diversity i feel like we've made taking steps backward massively um when it comes to diversity in mainstream media especially um which is incredible saying that in 2021 but here we are um let's yeah. move on to your book um so i was mentioned to puna i'd read the whole book over the weekend and i thoroughly enjoyed it um so there's a line in your book about being your strongest self and it goes being your strongest self has got nothing to do with how far you can run or how much weight you can lift it's about freeing yourself from any and every limitation you have silently ingested Talk to us about kind of what triggered you to write this book. The biggest thing I would say is realizing that this is a journey that I came to quite late in life. So um, at the moment, you know, I consider myself, so I'm an amateur competitive powerlifter. And for people that are like, what is that? <laughs> um, it's it's lifting weights competitively so the goal is to basically lift the heaviest that you can in wow. three different lifts which is like squat bench and uh, bench press and deadlifts and i would say that uh i've been doing this since the end of 2018 but obviously you've got to subtract a year uh during the pandemic for that but um the the book when i started thinking about it was was actually it it came around very organically i didn't sort of start powerlifting and then think oh I think that this would be a really good book <laughs> um, because the the actual sort of first year of powerlifting and that entire process was very much um, it was wonderful but it was also a very uncomfortable period of personal growth where I had to just let go of a of a lot of things right and that is that could be anything from releasing myself from the social conditioning around women expecting to be as as small as they you know possibly should be and could be and if you didn't want that as a goal then there was something wrong with you yeah. uh to you know just um the the other parts of social conditioning which was which was realizing that actually becoming physically strong only had ever really given me good things and and it made me feel so much more capable and when you then have people coming to you to i don't know help you like uh, to ask you to like help you lift their luggage and all of that stuff it's like it's an amazing um it, it kind of flips the status quo that you've kind of lived lived your entire life by yeah. but to be honest when my agent and i were talking about it as a book i mean personally i just thought well okay but this is like my experience of it powerlifting is quite a niche sport and i just don't really know that that people are going to get it i don't know that they're going to be that interested in it so we sort of sat on it for a while until we came across my current publisher which is bluebird um, and the editor that I worked with there, who is an amazing lady named Carol, um, as as is always the way for significant moments in my career, it tends to be stuff that's collaborative rather than, you know, someone kind of necessarily offering me the opportunity, which I kind of like because you then get to um, you, you then both get to kind of shape this this creation that you're putting out there. Right. And as I was talking to her, I realized that it wasn't it wasn't actually a strength journey. It's not it's not about like, um, I don't know, deadlifting twice your body weight or anything like that. That's just kind of like the unexpected benefit. What the story was actually about was was kind of unlearning a lot of the real negative stuff 
mm. that a lot of people, specifically girls, um, experience at school, especially around PE, yeah. um, you know, have really bad experiences, which then goes on to really shape and define um, and, and obviously, sorry, I'm not even including, you know, the comments you might get from family members or friends or extended family or whatever. But then that really goes on to shape a relationship and an association with physical fitness that is not it doesn't set us up to be our best selves. So um, and then when I kind of looked into the statistics of it, there was sort of one statistic that that I felt really personally, because, you know, my my heritage is that I'm I'm Indian. Um, but I was reading like all of these um, uh, reports of engagement, right, with physical activity and South Asian women are the least physically active out of every single demographic wow. in the country. And I was like, well, that's not because we're lazy. Like that's not like some inherent, um, you know, laziness. There are like, as with anything, when you look at data, there are factors that need to be considered and looked at. And that actually just kind of sent me down this rabbit hole, which was realizing that when you're a girl and you're a teenager of any um, intersectionality, there is a massive drop off in them doing physical activity as it was for me when I was a teenager. And at the same time, you also see that massive drop off in confidence and self-esteem and, you know, all of those kind of things. And then when you look at the reverse of that and you look at women who have entered the workplace, who had a really strong, positive relationship with sport and physical activity when they were younger, it has huge benefits in terms of how they cope with failure, their flexibility, yeah. their adaptability. Yeah. yeah. So that was really the start of it. And I thought, actually, no, there is a much bigger case here for uh this isn't just a book about strength this is a book about how women and girls can unlearn some of the things that have held them back and can rebuild most importantly can rebuild that relationship in a way that's right for them whether that doesn't have to be strength training could be wild swimming could be yoga it could be dance it could be whatever it is right there was um so it's interesting you talk about this i was reading an article yesterday um in the guardian it, the, the headline was literally um black people just don't swim and I read it and I was just cringing the whole time I was reading it throughout and they then you know labeled South Asians as well there's a low demographic of individuals who swim blah blah and then I also went down so I come from like a huge sports background I love playing football when I was younger but obviously you know there's a chapter in your book which I'll go into um where you talk about you know Indians being out in the sun for too long like that's that's mm. what I ever used to hear when I was younger like you're gonna get too dark for me like get back get back in the house um and f for you when you were writing this bit especially around um do you, do you feel that was kind of your experience when you were younger that you were kind of held back in in terms of sports and fitness were you open to this whole like world of fitness when you were younger or not really I was never held back and and any limitations that I had didn't come from my parents you know so when I kind of talk about like comments and so on that always came from uh like extended you know your extended community rather yeah. than like my my actual parents like my parents were very much and still are uh you know just kind of do what you want to do and so uh whether it was tennis that i wanted to try whether it was judo whatever 
the answer was never no. The answer was always, you know, they would let me try it and let me see, you know, within reason, um, what, whatever I wanted to to do. So up until I would say about the age of, you know, 10 or 11, I, my relationship with physical activity or just movement, I would describe it as, was very much like I didn't really see the limitations there. And, and even though, yeah, I mean, absolutely, when we lived in India for a time and I played tennis, um, of course I would get comments about like how dark I'd gone in the sun and so on. Yeah. But because it that never came from my mother and, um, and you know, she would always like relig religiously drive me <laughs> to my tennis lessons. I think I think the way that my brain kind of thought was these comments are like, really not good and I don't really like them and they make me feel self-conscious but there's this activity that I really love doing and my mom's taking me to it so I'm just gonna keep doing it yeah. um I, I don't ever remember having a moment where I was like no I can't go out in the sun because you know I'll, I'll get too dark or whatever and I but I know that the the dynamic matters a lot because when people have their actual parents saying that to them yeah. that can be hugely limiting but I think when I was a teenager and by then we'd moved back to England um I wasn't so much aware because we didn't we didn't really move to a place that had a lot of community if any to be honest and because that sort of that colorism thing didn't come from my parents um I just, I, that, that wasn't really a blocker for me yeah. but what was a blocker for me was the fact that I hated PE and I hated the way that it was taught I hated the like the gym knickers that you had to kind of wear and run around in <laughs> it was all just so bad and so I just decided that I would do it when it was mandatory yeah. but I never thought hey you know what I'll do like an after school uh I'll join an after school club or whatever and, and do it as an extracurricular like I I just didn't enjoy it at all yeah it's crazy and I think also when you talk about kind of um, you know in the workplace those who I think it's so important if you have played a sport the, the learnings you take from bringing that into a business I see it all the time like working in a team is the most underrated thing ever like I'm someone who loves working solo but when I used to play football you know it's all 11 of you on the pitch whether you like them or not you've got to just make it work for that half an hour and I think it's the exact same in business every day so I'm a strong believer that young girls should be you know out there just trying any sport you know just even if you, even if you go for one set you don't like it like try something new after that um yeah that so there's a chapter where you talk about kind of women of color and I, I found the whole chapter just incredibly relatable throughout what do you think needs to be done to show more women of color as sort of positive role models when it comes to fitness and sports it's multifaceted um as many things are but it's you know it's number one it's empowering women in their own communities to be visible and to occupy this uh, as a space right and for some of us there may be cultural barriers to that but it is about how we empower and, and women of color is just such a huge umbrella term so i so obviously what works for um uh, like let's say even if you look at you know south asians as a group like we're so uh diverse within that as a group and so what works for one someone from one particular area won't work for another but it is a it is about empowering um women from those communities to to feel like they can be visible because it which is a point that i do make in the book is that some of the most powerful and formative role models that girls will have that other women have 
will be of women in their own communities. And um, it's it's very, very rarely is it going to be a pro athlete because a, a pro, pro athletes are incredible. And we, we're very lucky that we're living in a time where there are so many amazing female pro athletes. But there is still a um, there's a slight detachment there where, for example, you might think, well, but I'm not an athlete, so or I'm not a pro athlete. So, you know, what they do in their journey, I, I would never be able to achieve that. Right. So it's about achievable goals within that. Um, it's also about accessibility. It's about sort of making these things accessible for certain communities, particularly if you're looking at low income communities as well. Um, being able to do it in a way so there is um, like if you know you're talking about football and so on um, like that that is an incredible opportunity to tap into grassroots communities you know for girls and and especially um, if you have the right kind of role model who parents think is you know a, a really good person to be for for their girls to be around that can be an amazing kind of conduit but I do think that the schooling system does have to take a really long, hard look at how they teach sport and also are they teaching sport in a gendered way? Like, are they unconsciously setting girls up to to be to self limit in terms of thinking that there are certain activities that they they don't have permission to do or they shouldn't do because that's a boy's activity. And those messages do come through. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's 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 about like all all of that, I, I guess, that kind of has to come together. And, you know, one of I, I won't sort of labor on this too much because it is, you know, there's a chunky bit about it in the book, which is highlighting some of the schemes and why they work and why they fail. So like one of those will be street games, which, um, you know, so even things like messaging, like uh, branding, like the type of colors used with campaigns and so on. And basically teaching activity in a way that works alongside how girls want to learn, like especially like non-sporty girls, right? And working alongside that rather than subjecting them to something that they really don't want to do, but that someone else thinks that that's the right way to teach it. Because the uptake at the moment, we're we're not like increasing, we're not improving in that that area. So I think that that kind of... um, that work that looks at the current system does need to take place. Yeah, agreed. And you talk about this sort of um, transition to becoming your strongest self and you really show the readers like this rawness to grief and how it can shape you as an individual. Um, it's, it's quite powerful to channel the grief like you have and you mentioned the struggle to not burn out as well. Have you got any advice for any individuals who are grieving and feel like there is sort of nowhere to turn at this moment? The thing is, the grief process is so it's so different for everyone. And I think that the first thing I would say is that you relinquish your idea of timelines. There's no there's no set time. Time is time is a concept that just doesn't apply, I think, when it comes to grief. So that's something that you have to protect quite fiercely, you know, because there are people who will think that you should do things by a particular time or uh, if you do this, that will make you feel better. And I think that I would protect yourself against that. And I, I did that very, very fiercely. The second thing is that um, in between, like if you look at it like a Venn diagram between, I don't know, grief and the rest of your life, there is an overlap because there's a lot that grief um, freezes, it stagnates, it, it sort of... Um, 
it makes it hard to do certain things, right? Because it's just so full on uh, physically and mentally. But there is an overlap in terms of there is a small sliver of things that you you have control over. And, and grief does this thing where it tricks you into thinking that you haven't got control over anything. And the reality is there's there's a huge thing that you don't have control over. No one has control over death or um, or when that happens. Um, but there is a sliver and and I would identify that sliver and I would hold onto it tightly and figure out what it is in that in that moment that you can do that you feel able to do that doesn't necessarily make you like bounce around with happiness. That's not that's not really what the goal is here. But that makes you feel less bad than the grief is making you feel. That that for me, I I would say was a starting point. It was like, what doesn't make me feel worse? Yeah. That's something I'm gonna keep doing over and over again and give myself a routine. And that offers you like a little bit more stable footing, which then allows you to very slowly build and build and build until that foundation becomes rock solid eventually. But it's a process and it takes time. And all I would just say is it's about it's about doing what feels right for you. And it's about gravitating towards things that make you feel better and make you feel that maybe things are moving. There's some sense of movement there. It doesn't necessarily mean you're moving forward or you're forgetting your grief or anything like that. But that there is a there's a creation of of movement within what is a very stagnant time. And it's so easy to just, um, you know, be in this um, spiraling state where, you know, one bad thing leads to another bad thing, etc. And, you know, that it's not great for your mental health. And I think, you know, how you talk about it in the book is it's so important to channel the stuff that makes you feel good. And, you know, God, it's so easy for people to just sit there and, and say, you know, channel the stuff that makes you feel good. But sometimes it's just taking that step to go for that run or you know go for that walk that you've been saying you'll do for like the last 10 days um which yeah is 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 that mental struggle is usually the hardest bit Mm -hmm. yeah it is i mean i would say that it's um the the sort of the baseline i think that i operated to was what makes me feel like i'm not thinking at all you know, like there's a kind of a white noise, a sort of a blank space. And the blank space to me was something very precious because it meant that I wasn't feeling, you know, completely like frazzled and upset and confused by grief. And if you can literally like gravitate towards that, like what gives you blank space in your mind? Like what creates that white noise for you? Um, That's something worth working towards. But similarly, knowing when to let go of things when they aren't working for you and feeling like you you are well within your rights to protect that because other people can help you but no one is going to unfortunately be able to to do that for you apart from yourself yeah agreed um so you talk about gender biases throughout as well um i really like this line power for men is not the same as power for women what would you say um um, again it's very open question but what would you say needs to change to remove or simply start reducing this gender bias that we see every single day in mainstream media I mean there is where do I begin <laughs> uh so I would say that to just sort of add to that uh gender bias isn't just about broadening things so that life is easier for women yeah. there are like plenty of guys 
who feel uncomfortable by this, you know, hyper-masculine um, ideal of, of, you know, you having a six pack and having big <laughs> muscles. So, so my, my thing about, uh, about gender anyway, um, is that I just don't think it's very helpful for people. And I just think that so many of us sit within such a broad spectrum of things that we don't, we don't all identify with the same things. And so I think that when we're talking about, you know, broadening, um, uh, gendered, uh, gender identity and gender things around that, like, let's say physical fitness, I think that it benefits basically everyone, not just, not just women. Yeah. But a big, like a real no-brainer here is, let's say, look, looking at posters and gyms, you know, and what, so what, tell me why, why is it that when women are depicted in gyms, um, they have like full face of makeup on and their hair blow dried and, uh, and, um, and it's, you know, a very super, super lean, always really, really lean, uh, lean woman. And if she has the misfortune of standing next to a man in the in the sort of portrayal, the guy will be like really jacked, like really big, you know, yeah. and will probably just look like a guy like, will we'll, you know, he doesn't have his hair blow dried or anything. And so it's these really polarized versions of what we're saying, like masculinity and femininity is. And I just I just really don't think that that helps anyone. Oh, and usually, you know, more often than not, the people in the posters are white. So it's just, yeah, like, so I think it's like that, that sort of sends a message around, yeah. you know, um, what a fitness person looks like, or what, what a fit woman looks like. Um, 100% it needs to be like, w w needs to be less ageist. So, you know, fitness is not the preserve of people who are in their 20s and 30s. Um, so we need to kind of roadmap what that looks like and that could be from having older pts in the gym yeah. um depictions of people um who aren't just in their 20s like instagram is notorious for this in mainstream okay. fitness where you know we we lionize youth so massively on social media in terms of the accounts that are massive and you know do really well and whatnot so i think it's it's everything it's like a it's a branding point of view it's who we champion it's opening up classes and making fitness more accessible to a much wider range of people um it's sort of saying that like whatever fitness is it's it's the aesthetics is like the least important part of it because yeah. the majority of people who will say why they enjoy working out like i ran a survey to go uh, along with stronger to go with the book and above and beyond the biggest reason why people work out isn't like weight loss and weight maintenance is because they see it as a really valuable valid way of maintaining their mental well-being yeah. so for me i'm like that you if you don't have your mental well-being you don't have anything so for me the above and beyond that needs to be the most important focus beyond hey here's this like really narrow depiction of fitness that's also kind of nonsense because it doesn't take into account different races or different like um you know uh genetic backgrounds or um you know just the fact that you can't tell someone's health or fitness from what their body size is and yeah. the fact that we live in a society where we believe that we've just been taught about it the wrong way and i think that there's a lot of unlearning we have to do around that yeah and my god social media does not help in any of this i mean there is definitely I, I look at um so my younger sister who's 19 and some of the things that she consumes in social media um versus what i consume um 
you can tell it definitely affects that pressure to constantly look good um and actually constantly looking good affects your mental health in a bad way like it puts pressure on you internally um and yeah i agree it needs to happen from an early age as well i think the the lessons that used to be taught in pshe and those sort of um lessons well needs Mm. to massively change um and in sort of pe as well um bringing that education that doing a sport after school is contributes towards your mental health um but yeah it's it's a huge topic um and finally my final question which i ask all my guests is what advice would you give to your younger self um it that is a tricky one because this sounds awful but i don't really think about my younger self anymore (laughs) i know that sounds terrible but it's like I mean, with my younger self, I just think that things unfolded the way that they were supposed to. But I wish I could. I wish my younger self had been served better by various institutions. And so the ideas that I had about myself, especially as a teenager, that that was not all my responsibility and that sense of self should have been nurtured better um, by everyone, basically, as as I would say, I venture to say the same is true of a lot of my peers. Um, but I have really made peace with with that. And so, to be honest, the younger self question I just find tricky because I don't I like I cherish her and I love her, but I don't really think about her. I actually think about my older self a lot more because that is who I think I need to honor. And that is who I need to like be thinking about right now. And I need to be thinking about all of those other women who are in the same, you know, salmon stream as me, who <laughs> who need to be prepared in the best possible way, who need to be prepared and who need to understand that getting older is actually about liberation. It's not necessarily about your choices being taken away from you. That is something that the world would like to convince you is happening, but it's about actually going, hey, I'm actually gonna call this out and say that it doesn't serve me and that it has no place in my life. And so that is what I am working towards. Love it. First time anyone's flipped it and said the advice to me. <laughs> I'll take that though. I love that. Buna, thank you so much for your time. Um, and everyone who's listening, I'll tag um, all of Puna's social media. And this will be available on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever else you can find podcasts these days. Um, Puna, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.